Warning, the Happy Ending Pod shows a couple of guys with microphones and a computer consuming copious amounts of alcohol and who say anything about anyone and everything they feel. It was all in fun, but not to be taken seriously. We don't own the rights to any music playing during our broadcast. Thank you and enjoy. We'll never fight or wretched hide. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the Happy Ending Pod Show. I'm Grant, and uh, with me as always is B3. And t- How's everybody doing? Uh, today we have a special guest, very special guest with us. Uh, her name is Katie Harms, and um, she is a wildlife... Con- uh, what was... I'm sorry, I'm going to screw it up already. Conservation biologist. Thank you, conservation biologist. Uh, what, Katie, what is the tail exactly? What does a conservation biologist do? Well, it's a pretty broad term, but anything that's going to be dealing with the natural sciences and conservation. So my master's was in biology and I had to be more involved with the conservation part of it, both wildlife and environmental. Okay, and I'm aware that you are well-versed with bats. Is that the straight United States bats, or is that bats in general? How is that? I would say mostly here in the northeast of the United States. I'm not very good with the species in the south. But uh, I, I know more than the average person all over, you know, with bats. But I would say if you want to talk, you know, more specifically, it's going to be uh, more in the northeastern part of the U.S., Okay, <laughs> you're pointing at me to go. Yep. Uh, that so uh, that's primarily at least in Pennsylvania the brown bat, correct? Uh, no, there's multiple species in Pennsylvania now. So you have um, well, two you're thinking of is probably the little brown bat and the big yes. brown bat. Yeah, little. Yeah. So the little brown bat, um, we don't have too many of them around anymore. They used to be our most common bat. And when white nose syndrome, which is a fungus, started to attack them in the caves um, back in the winter of 2006 and 2007, um, we started losing a lot of our smaller species of bats that hibernate. And the little brown bats is one that hibernates. They had uh, seen mortality rates of 98%. So give you guys a local example for any of the local folks out there. We had a cave in Bucks County, had about 10,000 bats in it before white nose. Um, when the game commission biologists went in a few years later to check on them, they were down to 23 bats. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's what 98% mortality looks like. So our once most common bat is now put on the endangered species list for Pennsylvania. So that is new within the last year. Wow. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Yep, and it's uh and white nose is crawling across the US and into Canada as we speak. So it's it's still affecting more and more uh bats every year we have it. Yeah, I re- I remember growing up as a kid. I live in uh Berks County. I live in Douglasville. And um, we have about two and a half acres. And if you walked into the back corner of my backyard uh, at nighttime in the summer, you would you would probably have a couple dozen to a couple hundred bats flying around. Now I go outside at night. If I can count three, it's a good night. Yes, we're seeing that 
different species. So whether it's even the big brown bats, they're a bigger body bat, they fared a little bit better with the fungus, but we've still seen a 50% decline with them. Oof. Hmm. That's brutal. Yeah. You know, where is, is that something that's just occurred naturally? Is that something that was introduced or brought over? I, I, I've heard about it, uh, but I don't know exactly what it is or where it origina originated from. It came from Europe, and they're suspecting on uh, caving, climbing gear. I guess you would call it splunking. So the guys that like to go into caves and venture in, um, people who hobbied and did that over in England or Europe area, I should say, and then they came over to the U.S. and, you know, were doing the recreational splunking. It was probably carried over on their gear and then contaminated our caves. So it's just a fungus living in a, you know, a, a cold, damp environment. Mm -hmm. And um, the bats over there have immunity to it from there's evolution being with it. This is so new to our bats. So picture it kind of being like what we're all going through with Corona right now. You know, bats had no immunity to it at all. And here it is in a cave. Um, to make matters worse, because the caves are where they're hibernating during the winter. So when they go into hibernation, um, their immune systems become suppressed because they're shutting down their body temperatures. So they're taking their normal, you know, temperature and they're dropping it so it's they're just hanging out on a cave wall for a winter with these low body temperatures low heart rate and low immune system and a virus wants to i'm not a virus a fungus wants to come on to them so it almost like starts covering them like you would put a piece of bread on a counter and let it get moldy it starts covering them it, it makes them itch and uh, awakens them they wake up, they burn through their fat reserves all winter long. They go outside to feed. All the water's frozen. There's no insects. Um, so they're pretty much starving and dehydrating mm -hmm. of it. And it's because the fungus starts attacking them to make them wake up too many times. Um, and it does eat away at wing membranes and everything as well. So it's a real nasty thing. And it's just because they're sitting there in a very susceptible condition being hibernated that this is allowed to take over in the summer when they're active the fungus doesn't have an effect on them because they're out in the daylight their temperatures are up it's, it's totally different but when they go into hibernate and if you guys have ever seen pictures of bats hibernate they get really close together in huge clumps so picture that 10,000 they're right up against each other um so they're just the fungus is just going from one bat to another that, that's a horrible way to die yeah, it sounds terrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't hoping for a cheerful subject on bats, were you? Oh, no, no, no. But it, 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 <laughs> with, within minutes, we've learned uh, 10 times more than I've ever, than I knew. You know what I mean? So this is yeah. beautiful. This is exactly what we've been, why we do this stuff. Uh, how many, you said there were more than just two species of bats in this, in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Um, so we have some, so we have some species that pop in and they're not, here regularly and then we also have some migrating species so we have three migrating uh species of bats and they're the red the silver-haired and the hoary bat and um they'll migrate in and then migrate down south when the winter hits um sometimes they'll hang out a little bit longer when we have these mild temperatures like this 
But for the most part, these are not the bats that are getting attacked by white nose because they're not going into hibernation. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're the movers. They're the migrators. Um, so they're doing okay. Um, they have other problems with wind turbines and habitat loss and stuff like that that affects their population, but it's not a white nose problem. The other white nose bats are all these other smaller bats. Um, big browns and hoary bats are some of our bigger bats. Um, but when you look at some of these other bats, some of them get so tiny. I mean, they're like, their bodies are like the size of your thumb kind of, and, um, their wingspan is what makes them look big. But you have, um, the Eastern small footed bat, you have the Indiana bat and the Indiana bat has been federally, uh, federally endangered for a long time. It's just white noses made it even worse. Um, we have the Northern long eared at, um, the tricolored bat. So you can see we have different species, but the little ones are getting attacked the worst and the migrating bats are not having a problem with it at all. So that kind of narrows down what species are being affected. That That's far more species than I even could have thought that we had up here. Yeah, we have about nine. Wow. So I thought it was two. Yeah, sometimes you get the evening bats, which come into Pennsylvania sometimes, but they're not considered our regular visitors. Um, so, okay. but I would say consistently have nine species. Wow. The, guy, the reason I mentioned the, uh, the uh, forgive me if I say the wrong name, the, the small brown? Little brown. Little brown. I'm familiar with them uh, because they'll wiggle their way in between the dormers uh, by my chimney and you, every now and then right as the sun starts to set I'll start to feel them hear them squeak and then if I go out and I watch I can actually see them squeeze their way out of the, the dormer underneath the chimney and also one summer one was nesting in our deck umbrella <laughs> or not nesting I would say sleep hanging out during the day yeah, that, that's all normal places for them to hang out. Um, I have bathhouses at my house, and I do get bats in them, but they used to love being in the soffit along my um, roof line. And yeah. there would be a ton that would crawl in there. When you see, um, in summer, here's another fun fact, too. So when you see a lot of bats, probably like what you're describing, that you can hear them squeaking and you have a group of them together, they're all the female bats. They're forming a maternity colony. So oh, wow. it's like the maternity roost and they actually have all the babies together and they kind of raise them in a large uh roost so it's a colony the males are out solitary um roosting somewhere else so the females are all together there's no males involved the males and the females only get together um right before hibernation in the fall the females are pregnant during hibernation and then when they come out they find an area that they're going to create their maternity colony and their roost and um, they have babies around May, and um, usually the babies are flying in July. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So when you hear about people seeing these large numbers of bats together locally, you know, I should say the bats that we have locally like that, um, and they're coming out of a bat house in large numbers, it's usually a maternity colony. Okay. I never knew that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that really that really is cool. It's it, it's interesting to see some of the crossovers that different different species and different animals have that are still similar in the animal kingdom. It's it's not exactly the same, but with hummingbirds, at least the ruby throats. Once the males 
um, copulate with the females. They don't have anything to do with the females or the or the babies after that. That's that's interesting because so many birds, you know, they do mate and uh, share the parental duties then in the raising together. So the females, yeah. the males. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a, that's that's amazing. Wow, that's that's cool. I, I, where's the best place to go in Pennsylvania to see all the different species? Because where I am, it's I'm, I got farms on three sides of me, but I still only get like three bats a night. Is there a is there a good, well known area that you can go around here to watch bats? Ooh, that's a loaded question anymore. So, Grings Mill used to have, um, their covered bridge used to have a nice population of little browns, but because they're all gone, it's really hard to find large colonies anymore of bats that you can watch that when it starts to get dark at night, they're going to, what we call, emerge, and they're going to come out and fly out for the night, and um, that's how a lot of people would collect data. They would count how many bats would emerge. They would do citizen science by collecting data on them. Um, there's not too many like that. Um, you know, you're lucky even if you have a few that you see and you can hear them at your house, um, you know, appreciate that. Um, I'll tell you another really cool thing. And, and um, this, I think, is one of the coolest things about when people can get bats to come to their house. So when you get a bat to come to your house or multiple bats, they're very loyal to their roost. They will come back year after year after year. You're going to have the same bat. You will have him bat. If one bat in your bat house, he will come back year after year after year. That is, to me, is the coolest thing because bats are one of our longest living um, small mammals. So they can live up to 30 years or more. Wow. Small mammal. Yeah, they are nothing like mice. Um, They're not short-lived, you know. They're not related to rodents at all. Um, they're really cool. So when you put a bat house and you have these bats come year after year, those are your bats, you know, they're, they're with you They're That's part of your, your property. Almost like, almost like you're a pet that you aren't even taking care of that they're visiting every year. So um, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I had, I put up this huge bat house and I get one bat that comes in it every year and he's just (laughs) by himself in it. And it makes me laugh, but I know it's the same bat because they're just going to keep coming back. Okay. What's really cool about that is uh, that <clears throat> with the mosquito population the way it's been the last couple of years and will probably be again this summer, you need bats um, to keep them down. And, and that's, again, part of the reason uh, the mosquito population is so bad over the last couple of years is the loss of the, the, small, the uh, small brown. Little brown. Little brown, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, bats in general, they'll they'll take care of all kinds of insects. So I think with climate change and these new um, invasive insects, emerging populations, when we get all of a sudden a big boom in a population, um, you need bats for that. You know, they're, they're going to eat whatever's out there. Um, you know, if, if it's out there, they're going to eat it. And I think that's what we need to try to keep some of these insect population problems in check, you know. We need a bigger a, a bigger bat uh, advocacy. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. People need to be less afraid of the of the bat because they're they're really not as ugly as people want to think. But I think the problem with it is the, the rabies scare as uh, that happened. Um, they they are 
I don't want to say they're prone to getting rabies, but there was a, at one point in time a scare that bats can carried rabies. Am I? <laughs> any any mammal can carry rabies. Yeah. Um, really, possums can't because their body temperatures are different, so they don't they don't take um, they don't do rabies the same way that the rest of us do. You know, birds don't. They're um, you know they're not mammals, so their body temperature is totally different. But you're going to see rabies. Every year, you're going to see them in raccoons. Yeah. You're going to see in feral cats, yeah. you know, fox, bats. Bats are actually a very small um, percentage of our rabies that we get. I think people just probably take them in when they see them. And uh, here's some more interesting information on rabies um, because bats are less than a percent. I think it's less than 0.1% bats are positive for rabies. Oh, wow. So it's yeah, it's, it's kind of blown out of proportion. It's, it's something you should take serious. If you find a bat in your house and you have to take it outside, be gloved. You know, it's, it's definitely something you should always take serious. Rabies does kill. And if you handle a bat and then you take it to a rehabber, if there's something wrong with it, they're going to have to put it down because you touched it with your bare hands. So for health safety, they put it down. So if you want to help bats, wear gloves when you're handling them. You know, be safe, because that's like that with any animal. Any animal that you take that could be a rabies vector species, um, if you take it, say, you know, it has a bad leg and you want to take it to get help at a rehabber that you found it, wear the gloves, because if you're not, they're going to have to put it down because they're going to have to test it because somebody handled it barehanded. Um, another thing about bats is, this is like getting super scientific in a sense, um, but... Rabies presents itself in two different ways. There, sometimes it's called a furious um, phase, and sometimes it's called a dumb phase. And when an animal presents with a dumb phase, they get they look all big-eyed and glassy and are real slow and look cute. And people want to touch the animal because they think it's being docile and friendly. And that could definitely be a sign of rabies. And then how we grew up with the movie Cujo, you know, there's a pro, uh, furious rabies which animals want to bite, all right? And just like any virus, think about it. It can only travel through saliva, so it makes something want to bite. You know, the, vi vi uh, the virus is actually changing the brain to make something want to bite to pass it on to the next host. Bats do not present in the furious rabies. They uh, present more in the dumb rabies category, so they're not super bitey either when they get it. So you're not going to have a bat flying out of the sky trying to bite you. The way that if you had a fox that would have it and would want to attack and bite. So I know that sounds kind of weird and I tried to explain it the most layman's way I could. But they don't get that kind of rabies that makes them have to come after people and bite them. Okay. So, yeah, I, I understand what you mean because two or three, maybe four years ago, I was driving on my way home and I passed a raccoon in the middle of the day. And I know that just because they're out in the day doesn't guarantee they have rabies. But when I drove past it, I was doing 40 miles an hour. It tried to attack the car while I was driving. So obviously that was probably a rabid raccoon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, especially if it didn't even have young around. Um, nope, you know, there are, there are two different types of rabies. Some will make something want to bite and be aggressive. The other ones just make them look very docile and slow and acting weird. And that's when people are like, oh, let's get this cute baby groundhog, and it's acting weird. 
and they want to touch it. Well, don't because, you know, good chances it has rabies. It's just acting differently. Okay. The, with, with the bat problem, with the rabies stereotype like Grant was talking about, I came, I, I heard about that, and I wonder if you heard about it too in the 90s, or whether it was, it was probably the mid to late 90s, there was all these stories going around about bats swooping down into people's hair and biting them. That's when uh, bats being rabid kind of got on my radar. I was a kid at the time, but it was the mid to late 90s. Are you familiar with those stories? or? As far as I'm aware, that's old stories that people have been saying for years that they can come and get stuck in your hair and stuff like that. Um, okay. It's all false because if a bat can grab a mosquito out of the sky using echolocation, they are not going to run into your head by accident. <laughs> That's what I've always thought myself. Um, I'll tell you something neat. We have a swimming pool, and when we go into those real hot spells, um, you can see the bats want to come down and drink out of the pool. And uh, we get real quiet, and we watch them do laps around and around, and they take dips, so they actually swoop down and dip out of the pool to drink while we're in there. And um, they know exactly where you are. They know where the water is. And they can time it that their body can just skim that water just enough to get their mouth done down to take a drink. Um, you know, that their flight ability, they have so much agility with their flight um, and ability to sense things in the air. Um, we don't have to worry about them getting stuck in our hair. Now, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. When, uh, when we were, uh, before we started recording, Grant and I were talking, and I, and I was saying one of, my, one of my favorite things to do in summer is to go out and swim at night. And uh, it's the same three bats like I'm talking about. And uh, they'll always come in and they'll take turns. It's almost like a flight pattern. They'll come in rotation and it'll take dips in the pool. And it's it's amazing to watch because I'll actually be swimming. I won't be sitting still in the water. And they'll still come in for dips in the pool. And when they get too close, you can actually watch them uh, like uh, divert their flight pattern while they're taking the drink to not hit you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That's the best part of swimming in the summer, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's incredible because you can just watch their their wings, their shoulders, just the slightest manipulations. They'll turn a certain way, and uh, they'll go right over your head. Last year or two years ago, I don't remember which, I actually did have one just slightly tap me on the head with their wing, but that was it. It was so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, like, and Grant had said earlier, too, if you actually see them up close, you know, if, you, if, if they're not happy to be held, they're going to have their teeth out a lot. But for the most part, they're pretty darn cute, too. And um, I have a friend who does bat rehabilitation. She has a place called PA Bat Rescue, and she's actually in Berks County, and she's the only person in the state that solely rescues bats. We have other wildlife rehabbers that will help bats if they're in need, but she does just bats. Okay. And, I get to go into her place sometimes, and I don't hold them, but I look at them. And you get to see the baby bats um, that have been, like, orphaned or whatnot. You get to see the older bats. And the more you know how they move, because they don't have legs. You know, they kind of have to crawl. When they get on the ground, they're stuck. They're grounded. They can't. They need to be able to climb up something so they can make, a like, a drop into flight. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. They have to drop into flight. They don't have the legs, you know, that we have. They have legs meant for holding on upside down. And then they have their wings, which their thumb is kind of a thing that they would crawl with. It's, 
it's weird that their bodies are so much like ours, but their mechanics are so different. Mm -hmm. And um, the more you get to see how they move and how they act, you're not scared of them at all. Like I've gone into her flight cages that they're all around and stuff, and it is not scary at all. Mm -hmm. You just you just pick up the, these little, and they're they're always hiding. They just want to be left alone and hide, you know, during the day. And you can pick up these little blankets, and you can see that they're hiding under there, and they they may make a little noise, but they don't. They're not upset. They're not coming after you. They just want you to and go back to bed, basically. They're, uh, they're cute. In the morning. Yeah, basically. So you're saying their 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 flight uh, is is similar to a, a glider. They would have to like uh, like a glider would have to jump off a cliff. They would have to be already up to, to let go to fly. Yeah, it's very difficult for them to get flight off the ground. Then we do a straight jump up in the air is difficult. I don't know. This is something I'm not sure how well our bats in Pennsylvania can do it. I know some of the bigger bats can do it. They can jump right off the ground, but I'm not sure how ours can here in PA. So a lot of people, they'll say, oh, there's a bat, you know, it's stuck in my house. And if it's on the floor, you know, you basically just got to get like, you know, a Rubbermaid container and like a magazine and, you know, you kind of scoop it in. And when you put it outside, don't just throw it on the ground. See if you can get it to be on a tree. So that way it already has a place that it can be safe at. And it can be on that tree and it can climb to safety or it can drop down in the flight and go. Um, and also don't ever, if you see a bat in your house in the middle of winter, don't put it outside. Um, chances are it's hibernating in your attic. <laughs> And if you throw it outside, it cannot handle those cold temperatures at that point. So um, that's some tips on how to care for them as well. And I think all this, if the more we could tell people, you know, one, not to be scared of them. Two, what their behavior is. So you're not shocked by seeing a bat in your house in winter. It's okay. They were probably hibernating somewhere and all these things. I think, you know, people have the resources to be able to help them. Because at this point, you know, saving everyone matters now that we've lost so many. Mm -hmm. So um, I think just people just need to be smarter and everything, you know, you know how hard it is to get people to be educated and to pay attention to stuff, you know, look, look what we're going through right now, you know, just to say that. Yeah, there, there's people don't have um, any kind of understanding with science literacy alone to read the stuff, yet alone, they're just so busy in their lives, you know, doing whatever TV show they're watching or, you know, um, you know, running kids around or keeping mm. up with careers. People just don't pay attention to stuff. People, um, people don't have the patience anymore. Yes, yes. So it's very difficult to get these messages out to people to not be scared. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, though. I think in the last decade, I think social media has helped animals that we would normally think are scary and awful. I think it has helped them become more accepted more prevalent sure. yeah i'm not sure how hey, you you would understand this concept so picture this you know like comic books were always like a really geeky nerdy thing and now they're cool mm -hmm. right so people like the underdogs they like being different so i think people started gravitating to things like snakes and bats a little bit more mm -hmm. in the last decade mm -hmm. i think social media with cool videos kind of helped the bats out a lot so i think there is some things that are helping um you know, bring um, those stereotypes, um, bring the stereotypes of back being horrible. They're kind of knocking them down and making them a little bit more cute and adorable or just 
people appreciated them more. Um, we, we, I think we've come a long way um, with animals in general, too. I think understanding, you know, they do feel pain and to have some compassion for them. Um, but I do think social media has helped. I would agree with that 100% because just by sheer chance, right before we got you on Skype, I was scrolling through Twitter and there's a video of a bat with 19.5 million views. It's only 55 seconds long and it's just a bat eating a slice of banana. So those types of bats, um, if we had to put them in a quick group, they're called um, mega bats. And the bats that we have in Pennsylvania are called micro bats. Okay. And basically, you know, smaller bats versus uh, bigger bats. And I really think the mega bats, even though we have none in this area at all, I really think the mega bats, you know, big fruit bats that eat the bananas, really think they help bats because people see them eating bananas. They see when their babies are wrapped up in those little, like, blanket burritos. And people are feeding them and giving them pacifiers because they're a larger mammal. So they look cuter. They look like little foxes. They're called flying foxes or fruit bats. So I think those specific bats help people appreciate the bats we have here a little bit more. Yeah, a lot of the comments were, I had no idea bats were so cute. And uh, people were posting stills of, like, uh, when he had the banana in his face. And they're like, look, he's smiling. So yeah. that. I think stuff like that goes a long way to not uh, like uh, not decriminalize, but like destigmatize or whatever the fancy smart way of saying demonsterize something is. <laughs> um, you know, people do as cute as bats are. You go to Australia though, and they will um, kill them all because they eat fruit and they don't want them coming after their crops. So you know, here in the U.S. What we think is the cutest thing eating a banana is somebody's backyard pest that they want to kill. So it's um, well, it's, it's interesting. You look at our current situation, and they're contributing now that possibility of this virus coming from bats or being somehow yeah. connected to bats. Yeah, I think they, they were thinking it was bats, and then now they're on the pangolin. So the pangolin. The pangolin. They're, yes. Yeah, they're. They're thinking that um, they may have gotten it from bats. So, like, basically, if a bat had it and another animal came in contact with, you know, somehow the bat, not that the bat would bite him, but whether it was excrement or something, and then that animal got it, and then it jumped to humans. Um, we shouldn't be eating any of these things. No. But, um, yeah, that that's plain and simple right there. Um, so... Bat guano has a reputation of being incredibly unhealthy and toxic. So why would you want to eat an animal that creates it? <laughs> because you you can go into caves full of bats with the guano, and can't the fumes from the guano kill you? Um, I don't know if the fumes can kill you per se. There are certain things. It's actually, it, you can find it in regular soil in addition to guano. It's, um... Oh, God, I can't think of the name right now. But if you were to breathe it in, you know, you could get sick from it. But it is also in soil in general, too. Okay. Um, but, you know, other than that, it's just like bird poop, too, though. So if you were to see, like, an area that had a bunch of pigeons, you know, you'd want to wear something to cover your mask. So if you were to sweep up the area, you wouldn't be, you know, getting those dust particles from the poop into your, you okay. know, lung. It's the same thing with that. You know, okay. if it's okay. dried and it's getting air, like getting in the air because it's been dried flakes and stuff, you don't want to breathe it in. Just to okay. be safe. 
Okay. I cannot picture what the, what fishing is though. That, that it, I believe it's a type of fungus or something that can grow in the guano. And okay. uh, you can also find it in soil as well. You find it more, I think, closer to the Mississippi region and, and over than in our area. All right. Okay. I cannot think of the name. That bugs me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was an episode years ago of Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, and they went into a cave in Mexico, and they had to wear ventilators. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always safe to do that, I would say. You're okay. going to be a What's up? Yeah. It really just sounds like there really isn't anything inherently bad or dangerous with bats, but somehow they got this stigma with them. Absolutely. And because they... Hey, Sam! <laughs> Wait, so Katie can see our video, Bob. She's hiding herself. Yeah. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> and we got the black fists on her screen. Hello, Katie. Hello, Bob. <laughs> Grant says, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm on Facebook. But in honesty, I was thinking, I just got out of the shower and I'm trying to get a brush through my hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would have only... Back, look at Grant's hair. Yeah, anyway, yeah. look at my oh, mess. Look at my, I just we wouldn't have uh, recorded the video, Katie, just the <laughs> audio, but we would have enjoyed the video. <laughs> uh, I had to laugh, too, because uh, I actually showered because, you know, being stuck in the house, I'm like, Showers are almost optional at this point. Very true. <laughs> Very true. It's like, you know, at least washing my hair, you know. I'm thinking that, that's kind of a, that could be an every other day thing at this point if I'm not leaving the house. You guys are lucky. I got to go to work. <laughs> I do too. Are, well, you're in healthcare, aren't you, yeah. Sam? Yeah. No. I pray they close. <laughs> I pray the Lord. No. We'll see what happens. Oops. Sorry we cut you off. I don't remember what you were going into. Oh, sorry. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll stay in the background. No, it's fine. You could have sat here. We did cut her. We did interrupt Katie. She was going into uh, something because I was looking up something regarding guano, back guano. And oh, it was fine. It was okay. Why do I remember this? It's like hysteroplasmosis or something. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, it's, it's coming to me now. Okay. Uh, what do you want? Yeah, histoplasmosis. It's a type of lung infection caused by inhaling um, these fungal spores that can be found in soil and bat and bird droppings. So. Okay. Okay. So we don't want to breathe so, that stuff in in general. No. So, whether it's... It sounds like I got pretty lucky cleaning birdhouses all those years without a mask then. Yeah, like I said, it's not super prevalent in this area, but, you know, you Oh, you have, that's right, that's right, okay. Yeah, you just gotta always be careful, though. If you are cleaning birdhouses, put it on, too. Yeah I, yeah, I never did. I don't do it anymore because we're getting ready to move, but I always used to uh, put up houses for, what? What's your face for, Grant? Please, go ahead, continue, you're getting the move. <laughs> I, it's why I took down the birdhouses, but I used to uh, get um, tree swallows, chickadees, and uh, bluebirds. Oh, very nice, very nice. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I was just looking up what she was saying about the, the, the causing the breathing issues from them. Um, Katie, 
I, I don't know how well. What was the? What is the largest bat known in uh, uh, today? I'm so. You know, I can't think right now. Again, we're out of the country now talking about it. Um, it'd be some flying fox or fruit bat, you know, I'm not sure. But do you, uh, do you have an idea of the size of how big Oh, I, I think it could probably get close to, maybe it would get close to a six-foot wingspan, possibly. <laughs> oh, yeah. bro. <laughs> That's impressive. We could probably Google it. Yeah, they're, and even a bat. They're so tiny body-wise, but their wings, people get scared because they look so much bigger, you know, when their wings are out. Yeah. And it's, it's the same with when you look at these fruit bats and stuff like that. Um, you know, once their wings come out, man, that they, they increase their size tremendously. The giant golden crown flying fox is okay. the world's largest bat. Hmm. And how big? Uh, it weighs 3.1 pounds, and uh, they they uh, are about eight and a half inches long. But it's trying to find the, trying to find their wingspan now. Uh, it says only 4.9 feet for the wingspan. Okay. Okay. So not. not oh no! Quite no my bad. Uh, 5.6 feet is the wingspan. Okay. Yeah. So for the body, it's the largest bat. That's still just as shy as shy of how tall I am. That's about six inches yeah. shorter than me. I, I know. That's insane. That's, in, yeah. Um, Katie, I, not to change the subject quick, but I don't know if you saw this. Two weeks ago, uh, the deadly white nose syndrome was confirmed in the Texas uh, Texas bat for the first time. Yes, yes. And Texas has huge colonies of bats, yeah. so uh, it's definitely worrisome. Now, again, them carrying it and them actually being affected enough to cause mortality, I'm not sure because Texas does not get the winters we get, so I, you know, I don't think they're going to have the same problem with the hibernation. Sunlight kills the fungus. So if these bats are out and getting regularly, you know, exposed to UV, um, you know, hopefully it won't be a problem. And again, it also is affecting the bats because, um, you know, it's making them wake up and go through fat reserves that they had for um, the winter. I think the Game Commission thinks currently the reason why some of our bats are struggling the most is actually the newer generation so the new babies that were born like i said that just started to fly in july so when it comes time to start hibernating in november they didn't put enough fat reserves on mm -hmm. so they think some of the older bats are starting to survive but some of the babies aren't um doing so well because they didn't put up enough fat so when they're getting woken up um by white noses they're affected by it they're really going to have a hard time mm -hmm. with it that's horrible it, it is there anything that they're working on or that they know of that can uh, treat, prevent, or somehow help the bats with this? They do have some treatments. They just don't know how to do it in a large scale to cover them in a cave environment. Um, and also not to mess up the uh, already existing uh 
flora and fauna, whatever, that's in the cave itself. So they don't want to wipe out native fungus and other stuff that is part of that cave ecosystem to kill this other thing. Okay. Uh, but UV is a treatment that works. Um, they did find a type of bacteria that they can use that would kill it. So, you know, they actually know that they can treat bats individually now. They just don't have a way to do it large scale. They're working on it. There's tons of grant money every year that is being put into um, trying to find some solutions. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You couldn't really just go in and, like, spray wildly in a cave and expect it to work. Yeah, because you would just, the rest of that ecosystem and, like I said, all that different um, flora that's in there. Wow, yeah. All the microorganisms. <laughs> yeah, stuff we can't see. Yeah. Gotta love nature. Yeah. It, it is an amazing. It really is. You come to yeah, appreciate when you when you get close enough and look at it. It really is wild. What's out there? And, and just the way everything, the way everything works together, coincides with each other. You know, uh, the effect and after effect, and it's just. It, Evolution in general, it's it's insane. How how far back, Katie? If you do you know uh, if how far the bat can be traced? I don't know um, anything offhand. I do know when you start looking at the species that um, so Chiroptera is their larger. Like if you're looking at you know the scientific order, Chiroptera is what both the megabats and the microbats fall under. If you start looking at the megabats. Specifically, they can look at common ancestors that would be shared with primates. So if you think about that, they're getting closer to lineage that we would share connections with. So they are not related to rodents at all. Uh-huh. If anything, there's some connection to primates. But you know how that is. It's very difficult for people to figure out where different um, species split off and it changes from year to year as they discover new stuff. But um, the last I have read, um, it does start to try to connect um, them to other species of primates. And primates is a huge category, correct? I mean, we're in it, you know, lemurs are in it. So you get like a huge, um, you know, category of the different primates. Um, But yeah, if you look at our megabats, they have some connection into that. That's really wow. cool, actually. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, well, we, we uh, I don't know. Bob, do you have anything uh, else you'd like to keep Katie up later with? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I mean, we've, I've learned a lot already. I'm not going to lie. Oh, same here. And this has just been about that. Yes. You could do a whole series. Yes. <laughs> if she doesn't hate us already. Um, <laughs> uh, so, again, you're a, a conservation biologist. What's your what's your favorite thing to interact with or study then? Ooh, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, my favorite thing to interact with is actually my dogs. Have <laughs> 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 to look at animals. Um, you know, I actually really like trees a lot too. If I could do more, I'd plant a lot more trees. Um, but any any wildlife in general, no matter what it is. 
if it's in need um, and its populations are down or it's getting a bad rap, I always feel most tender to that. Um, I did not grow up liking bats. I was scared of bats just like everybody else was. Um, when I got out of grad school, and, and here's an analogy, um, if you, have you ever talked to veterans and you ask why they went in the military and they said 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard, heard some of them say it? So a lot of them, they went in because they wanted to help. They wanted to do something. So some of the veterans joined the military after 9-11. When I got out of grad school, um, shortly after, white-nose syndrome came on the scene. And I wanted to get a little bit more specialized in something. And I started looking into bats and self, you know, just kind of like teaching myself more about them. And then I started going to um, different symposiums. I started helping out the Game Commission and Citizen Science. So that's how I kind of got into bats. But it was because they needed the help. It wasn't that bats were always my favorite. But the more I got involved with them, the more I fell in love with you know, what bats are and their species. Um, so that's kind of how I got into into it, you know. But I love whales, you know. I, I get drawn into the marine mammals as well. Um, and sea turtles and, you know, all the things that people get excited about. We call them, us biologists, we call those the sexy animals. <laughs> so, so polar bears and tigers and whales, um, you know. Bats aren't as sexy, so people don't care about them. You know, people don't care about, like, bugs as much either, you know, so the insects don't, people don't get excited unless they're butterflies. Um, but, you know, all of that. I mean, my whole backyard, um, I plant stuff to attract more and more native um, insects, whether it's um, native uh, bees, um, not honeybees, but native bees and um, butterfly and stuff like that. You know, that's that's kind of how I garden. And, um, you know, the more I plant, the more I see every year. So just like the bat houses, you know, they come back every year, you know, I, I get my plants going and I see the same, you know, a variety of insects coming back. That's, really cool. well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, bugs are a tough sell to the most, for the majority of the, the public. Yeah. But you know what, though? There are some incredible looking, even like prehistoric. I remember a couple of years ago, I took a picture of a bug I'd never seen before. Guess who named it? Because I posted it on Facebook. Anybody know what this bug is? Katie named it uh, instantly. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what the name of the bug was. I know the picture will show up in my timeline memory. Was it an assassin bug? It had the uh, spiked back, the spiked wheel looking back. Yep, yep. Yeah, assassin bugging probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, never mind. Sorry, Bob. Uh, <laughs> but no. I was right, Greg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're gnarly. I had never seen one before, and it was landed on the yeah. windshield of my car, and I'm like, "Well, I kind of don't want to kill this thing. He's really cool." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that that little beep that they got. The yeah, I was like, I I got him on something after I took the picture, and I got him on. A, I think it was a receipt or something, and then I put him on the ground or, or a, oh, no, it was on a wall that was next to us. I was like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to kill him. I don't know what this is. I've never seen it. You know, it's like <laughs> like our plant. Our, we have a plant in our backyard, Katie. I, I don't know if it's an elephant grass type plant. We looked to get rid of it. We started to dig it up and cut it down. Next thing I know, as I'm cutting it, there's um. Dozens upon dozens of baby praying mantis on it, and I instantly stopped and said, "I we can't do this. This thing is loaded with tiny 
I don't even know what the because it doesn't grow like elephant grass, uh, but it kind of looks like it. So I don't know what it is, but it's still there. So and it's it keeps bringing us praying mantises. So I'm not complaining. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because uh, funny thing too, you mentioned both prey mantis and we were talking about the assassin bug. Um, a couple years ago, I had a picture here in my yard, and an assassin bug was eating one of the spotter and landon flies. Nice. So, uh, yeah, they're all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually found a spotted lantern fly, and I get toads at my property, and they actually poop um, on our concrete areas, and there was a spotted lantern fly wing. Like, you know, stuck in the poop. So I know the toad ate it. So um, we do have things that are eating them, even though people are not. Well, I'll tell you what. We should probably get a little tired of the invasive stuff China likes to send us, though. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, China and Europe haven't done us a lot of favors. Yeah, but China lately, stink bugs, uh, uh, lanternflies. Oh, no. Yeah, I agree. SARS, a, and now this coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> From a birder standpoint, though, Europe has really screwed us with the starling. Absolutely. Those things are miserable. And when I uh, have my winter bird feed, and then all of a sudden they show up in their mass numbers, and yep. they eat everything out of my uh, bird feeder in like, you know, 10 minutes, and uh, chase all the other birds away, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, they'll either pick out the good expensive stuff, or they'll eat it all. Yep. When I when I did the birdhouses again, uh, I had uh, house sparrows, which are European sparrows, and it took me a month, but I successfully chased them all off of my property. Very good. Well, here's some food for thought, right? So, you know, we hate all these invasive species because they are very good at adapting in new environments and outcompeting other things. Oh yeah. As we start moving to climate change and we start changing our environment, um, just like with Darwinism, you know, things that are able to adapt, um, you know, have a good chance of survival, uh, these invasive species may be the only thing we end up having left because they are so good at adapting and being in survival. So it's, uh, it's something to wonder if, uh, if this is what the new ecosystem will start looking like is um, all these really party invasives that um, we fight all the time. That's a point I never considered. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the better they can adapt and take over um, new environments, um, it may be those are going to be the strongest species for survival in the long term. Yeah. yeah. But I, at the same time, though, I kind of feel like they don't need as much help. Because if you go to the grocery store, that's what's all over the shopping carts. The, the what is? The European sparrows. Oh, okay, the sparrows. Okay. Yeah. Because the problem around here, at least that I had in uh, in Berks County and then also um, in Doylestown, was uh, the house sparrows were killing the tree swallows and then building their nests on top of the dead bodies. Yeah, I mean, I'm not huge further in that sense, but I do hear the people always talking about it that I do um, projects with and that they do come in and they do build on top of like the other babies. So they'll take over a nest, even if a, if the bird has had their eggs in there and hatched, they will still take over a nest and put a new one on top. Yep. It, yeah, it's crazy. Fucking Europeans. 
<laughs> we just talk shit about our ancestors too. <laughs> I, I had to get a four-letter word in somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this has been too scientific. We need to lower it. Uh, no, it, it's it's actually been beautiful. I actually love this. Um, I Katie going for almost almost an hour. Uh, is there anything um, you'd like to uh, end? Something that uh, you would like us all to know about before uh, we let you go and get ready for bed or whatever you got to do tonight? Yeah. Um, just I think what I've said before. You know. Try to help the bats the most you can. Um, you know, try to if you find them in your house, handle them a smart way. Love, don't put them out in the middle of winter. There are resources for people who are willing to help bats to take them. You know, to take them in and take care of them in the middle of winter. Um, like I said, if you want to look up PA Bat Rescue, she's a nonprofit that's in Berks County. Um, you know, she helps takes care of bats all through the winter. She will hibernate them at her house. You know, she has a whole, um, you know, section that it's basically her garage that she converted that she will hibernate them until it's time to release them come um, spring. So there's local resources. I don't know if you guys, you know, if your audience is mostly local or not. If they're not, you can always find the stuff online. Um, Just do some simple Google searches and get somebody to help. We need every bat we can have. And uh, they're really awesome. So try to learn a little bit more and then you'll appreciate them more. I completely agree. I mean, I love this. This was fun. Yeah, uh, this this was a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, very good. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Katie Harves, thank you very much. Uh, Katie, we could have you back talking about animals all, all the time. This, this was a lot of uh, fun. Really appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. I can talk about all kinds of things. <laughs> and I could throw word out plenty. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, Bob? Birds. Let's birds. talk about birds. We, next we time. have to do another episode with, for birds. All right. Uh, uh, Bob, I will yeah. say this. I know Katie was a Walking Dead fan. I don't, as, as well as, you know, I don't know where she's at with it right now. <laughs> oh, I, I'm up to date. And uh, here's a funny thing. Um, so, uh, you see how um, Daryl has a new weapon, right? No, I haven't watched this entire season. Uh, oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> Katie, so, I'm. Daryl- I'm so upset with the show. It's so yeah. uh, everybody that everybody leaving is leaving because rolls have been It's been so, and I don't blame them. Where'd everybody go? I lost you all. I'm nope. here. Okay, good. Uh, so I'll never leave you. <laughs> we still have Katie. Okay. I'm here. All right. So yeah, I, I actually once it's done, once this season's over, I plan on binging the the living heck out of it. Okay. Well, I won't ruin it. He has a new weapon, and it's kind of funny because I always said for years now, if the zombieocalypse ever came to life, I would use this particular weapon. And the reason why is because I own that weapon. (laughs) Because back when I was a 17-year-old kid, I went to the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, and I was able to get this thing. (laughs) So when you see what he's using... Picture me have owning that as a seventeen-year-old kid, and I still have it to this day. And, uh, it I'm is a the morning star. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's like you know, uh, what do they call them? Um, it's a cane or a flail, a flail mace, I think. I was going to say a mace. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't want to ruin it for Grant. No, it's okay. So that's his new toy. That's actually badass. Actually, it is. And it's so funny because I kept saying that would be one of my choice weapons. And, uh, you know, I, I here I own it. And, yeah, picture that, the Renaissance Fair. Because, you know, 
Renaissance Fair isn't quite what it was back then. No. When we were growing, I think you could buy swords and other stuff. Like, you could still buy swords there, but I think it was easier to buy some of this crazy stuff that these people were, yeah. um, you know, welding together. And uh, I just can't believe I, I left as a 17-year-old kid. The Renaissance Fair was something like that. <laughs> Insane. Without a permit and all. <laughs> yeah. I did have to get a... I think I had to prove that there was an adult with me when I bought it. And uh, that was it. But in that, uh, it's crazy. You pointed to a crowd of people. Yes, they're right there. <laughs> Those are adults. <laughs> and, and that That's was it. regulations were back then. Well, remember, we were buying cigarettes at 14 and 15. What the hell's a mace at 17? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Still less lethal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then the cigarettes? Yes. <laughs> Katie, we had, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Katie, dear, we had a lot of fun, and I thank you very much for the impromptu interview and for yeah. chatting with us. Thank we you. Greatly appreciate it. Um, and we'll, we'll get this out. Uh, fortunately, we are listened worldwide uh, on six of the seven continents. For some reason, Antarctica doesn't listen to us. We don't know what their <laughs> problem is. Um, but I, I'll get you this uh, as soon as I can clean it up, do what I have to do to make it sound as best as I can get it. And I'm, if you want to check it out. Uh, but again, thank you. We really appreciate it. We lear I learned a lot today. I know that for sure. And I know Bob liked oh, it. So, from the bottom of yeah. our hearts. Yeah. You sorry, Bob? I said, this is up my alley. Yeah. So, uh, again, from the Happy Ending Pod Show, we thank you, ladies and gentlemen, Katie Harms. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being here, dear. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Have you too. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Gordon. And, uh, Perfect. <laughs> thanks, Kate, for uh, being on the show. That was... Yes. Thank you. Uh, informative and... Uh, Oh, yeah, Beyond Educational. Uh, the website for the, what was it again? Uh, for the Pennsylvania Bat Rescue is pabatrescue.org. Okay. If you can help out, you know, give us support, and, you know, we need bats. That's. Well, they're, they're crucial. Yeah, yeah, they eat. You, you dislike mosquitoes and invasive bugs? Yeah. Then you like bats. And, you know, honestly, it, uh, mosquitoes, I would say, probably carry more diseases than, mis than bats. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Bats are like like she mentioned are primarily like what was it less than one tenth of a percent carrier rabies? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet they've always so, been associated with it in a way. Yeah, like, exactly. But I, you can guarantee mosquitoes carry what is it, West bird flu. Yeah, yeah, they carry all sorts. If of we're shit. lucky, they'll be able to start carrying a coronavirus too. <laughs> Yo, that's the last thing we need. I know. Something that bit in the summer that has it, and then everybody else has it. Yeah, can you imagine being. Oh, God. Yeah, anyway. you're resistant to it from coughs, but you get bit and you catch it. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Alright, so, yep, check it out. Give them a help if you can. Thank you, Kate. Yes, our, our, our show leading uh, conservation biologist. There you yes. Uh, genius. I hope, we hope to have her back. Talk about oh, absolutely. I would, I would love a series. This is up my alley. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I hope everybody else did. I hope people liked it half as much as I did. Okay, there you go. And I hope everybody has a happy ending. Absolutely. That's what we're about. All the time. Thank you, folks. Yeah. <laughs>
Tomorrow, same bat time.